0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples Whoever loves me will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, yet the word you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. I have told you this while I am with you. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. You heard me tell you, I am going away and I will come back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. The Gospel of the Lord. In the first reading today, we hear about the first council, the first ecumenical council. The most recent one was Vatican II, but the first one was the council of Jerusalem. Except it's very strange here because we actually skip over the whole council. I don't know whether you caught that, but initially the first two verses are kind of talking about how they're going to go to Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden the next line is that the apostles are sending people back to Antioch, and they cut out in Scripture, not in Scripture, the lectionary that the church has put together, cut out the whole section of the Council of Jerusalem. But the Council of Jerusalem is this gathering, which it kind of talks about, of all the apostles, of all the elders, to discuss this hot topic. Is circumcision necessary or not? And this is no small issue, that is for sure. Because because it's similar like we would experience with baptism in the Catholic Church, right? Baptism is necessary, so all of a sudden to be able to say that that's not necessary, you're like, wait, what's going on here? Within Israel, to be part of the chosen people, circumcision was necessary. And so to say that it wasn't necessary is a big change. And so Paul is preaching that it's not necessary that Gentiles are there and that they don't need to be circumcised. And the Judaizers behind are kind of like, yeah, that's what he's saying, but you really need to be circumcised. And so there's this discussion. Well, what, what is the right practice? And who has the right to be able to say it's the right way or the wrong way? Who has the authority to be able to be definitive in this? How do we know that Paul isn't making a mistake in this? How do we know that? Well, we might just say, well, it's two different ways of practicing, right? It's the same thing, but it's just two different ways. Well, except for these are what we call, they're, they're not able to be reconciled. So be similar to say, well, there's, you know, to get to Rice Lake, you take this road and that road. And somebody else is like, no, no, no to take, go to Rice Lake, you go this road and then, and then that road, 48 and or whatever. And those two different ways can both work, right? Those are two different ways that you can get to Rice Lake. But if someone says Rice Lake is south of here, and another one says Rice Lake is north of here, well, then you've got an issue, right? Somebody's going to be right and somebody's going to be wrong. It can't be both and in this situation. The same thing with whether circumcision is necessary or not. So what are we to do? How do we know that the council is right? Well, if we go to the gospel we're able to see a little bit more of where we place our faith. How do we understand how we're being led in truth, in faith? How do we know that what we believe is right or wrong? Certainly within the, within the United States today, there are thousands of different denominations and all kind of say, well, we've got it. The Catholic Church, I think, has a a, greater, uh, a much greater claim to that than any others, we have two thousand years of history. That um, sorry, I'm gonna. So this is all kind of dealing with ecclesiology, which is the study, the theology of the church. Jesus gives us a little peer, a little glimpse into the ecclesiology, the theology of the church that he gives us in the gospel today, which is taking place during the Last Supper. So the Last Supper is this time that. Uh, Jesus is trying to tell the apostles everything that he needs, right? If you're about to die, if you know you're about to die, you're going to say the most important things. And so he's telling them all these things. And it can almost seem like shotgun method where it's just like all over the place. He's just like this, that, this, that. Uh, But he's telling us all these important different truths. One of the ones that he says is that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that i told you now how do we know that the apostles remembered that right how do we know that we should even believe that well jesus gives us a little clue at the end he says i have told you this before it happens that he's going to suffer die and rise on the third day so that when it happens you may believe We believe because of the resurrection. We believe in the words of Jesus Christ. We believe that these are true. And so we believe that the Holy Spirit will be sent and that he will teach us in everything and remind all that I told you. That we won't be mistaken in that. But in what way is this fulfilled? That's the real question. Protestants, non-Catholics, would say, well, the Holy Spirit is guiding the body of Christ, but it's each individual in a way. Or maybe it's just a specific body, right? But the Holy Spirit guides in multiple different ways. Well, we'd say, well, the Holy Spirit, God isn't split in His understanding. He doesn't think Rice Lake is north and south, right? It's going to be one. Now, there's different ways of practices. There's different customs. But different truths is not within God's understanding, right? There's only one truth in certain matters. Not in all matters, but in certain matters. And so, when we talk about teaching you and everything and reminding you of all that I told you, we talk about this development of doctrine. That He will teach you in everything and remind you. Well, in what way? Well, we realize in the early church, maybe the understanding of theology, of who Jesus Christ is, what the sacraments are, and how we interact with God was in seed form. Everything was there that was necessary for the plant to grow, but it wasn't completely understood what the plant looked like, what kind of fruit would be there, what kind of ways do we water it and take care of it in different ways. And so this seed that's in the early church we can see is present. We see one of the examples is the Eucharist, the Mass, is that we have accounts of early Masses that are very similar. Paul gives us an account of Mass, and he says, this is my body, this is my blood, right? He gives us the words of institution, but yet he doesn't have the theological language to be able to say, yes, then the bread and and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ because of transubstantiation and the working of the Holy Spirit through Epiclesis. No, he doesn't have that type of understanding and definition because that seed needed to grow. But he does very clearly, and the entire early church realizes that this bread and wine is something different. It's not just ordinary bread and wine. And so when we understand that, we're able to understand that even though we look at the early church and we say, well, the the early church didn't do this or that. We're able to say yes, but that's because there's a development that the Holy Spirit has guided us in all truth. Within, within that, we see the magisterium speaking in multiple different ways. magisterium is kind of the, the teaching authority of the church. This teaching authority that's not guided by just smart theologians who are able to say this or that but that we believe that the magisterium is guided not by human wisdom, but by the Holy Spirit. That God made, Jesus made other promises as well. That the gates in the other world should never prevail against the church. That Peter is his rock, that he can bind and loosen certain things. And that the teaching magisterium guides us in all truth through the Holy Spirit. And so there's four different ways that the Magisterium specifically teaches uh, infallibly. There's uh, the way that we, uh, is kind of most flashy, kind of in a way, which is papal infallibility. Papal infallibility is the one that kind of gets uh, uh, a lot of attention. In fact, I was just asked last year by a Protestant pastor, do you really believe that everything that the Pope says is infallible? I say, no, right? No, papal infallibility does not mean that everything that Pope Francis says is infallible. It doesn't mean that what he says we can just ignore. We give deference and certainly respect to everything that he says. But papal infallibility is a very specific way of speaking. And the church, in the last, uh, since it's been defined, in fact, papal infallibility was only defined in Vatican II, which is another way of magisterium, anyways. Uh, and it's only been speaking in two specific ways, through the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption of Mary. Where the Pope has said, I am speaking ex cathedra from the chair of Peter, and I am definitively defining that Mary was immaculately conceived. Okay? But Pope Francis hasn't ever done that, right? Neither did Pope Benedict, neither did John Paul II, although they still did work in other ordinary ways. So there's another way that uh, he works ordinary, ordinarily through the magisterium, through uh, definitive, through defining what's already there. And so there's ways that the faith, the magisterium teaches, through one way is that the bishops in union... Hold something definitively, at one time, unanimously. Now this, it was actually demonstrated in 1994, where John Paul II actually surveyed all the bishops throughout the world and asked them whether murdering innocent was immoral. And all the bishops unanimously said, Yes, murdering the innocent is immoral. Then he asked, Is abortion immoral? And unanimously, every single bishop throughout the world said, Yes, it is immoral. Then he asked, Is youth in Asia, is that immoral? And unanimously, every single bishop said, Yes. This is an ordinary way where the, the church teaches. Now that was kind of revealed to us. But there are many other cases that theologians have made that says that the bishops... At one time, have unanimously, in a specific faith and moral, not custom or practice, have been in agreement and thus infallibly speak. One of the other ways that maybe not as uh, confusing as that one is within ecumenical councils, which we talked about in the first reading, which is the first ecumenical council, where all the bishops, apostles, the successor of the apostles, come together with Peter and discuss different topics that need to be discussed. In the first Jerusalem Council, it was circumcision. Uh, at other councils, it was other things. In the Council of Nicaea, Nicaea-Constantinople, which is where we get our, uh, our creed from, is, is that, where we're like, wait, who is Jesus? Is Jesus God or is He human? Some people were saying He's human. Some people say He was God. Some people say He wasn't human. He wasn't God. And so there's discussion within the Ecumenical Council. We believe that the Holy Spirit led us not just through human means, but through the Holy Spirit to guide us infallibly in all truth. And so we profess that creed. We don't profess a human creed. We profess a creed that has been given to us through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit that has guided us in all things through that seed form to blossom into fruit. Now, one of the last ways that the Magisterium infallibly, well, speaks is through the sensus fidei, which is a little bit more kind of, a, of an awkward thing because it's really hard to tell what that is. The sensus fidei is the faith or the faith and morals of the people, kind of the sense of the faithful. And so this is in union with all the lay people, all the bishops, that this kind of works in tradition in some way. Right, if the, if the faithful people have always believed something, that we continue to hold it. It's actually one of the arguments for the Immaculate Conception. Was, it was infallibly declared by Pope Pius IX, but it was kind of one of the reasons why he gave, was that the faithful have always believed that Mary was immaculately conceived, even though there might have been a little bit discussion, overwhelming majority. And so we kind of see the way that the Holy Spirit continues to guide us in tradition within the Catholic Church. That we, our group, our sense of the faithful is not definitive. That the Holy Spirit is working here within this community, but not definitively and not infallibly in the midst of it all. It's one of the beautiful things we have Memorial Day this weekend. We remember those who have gone before us. That we recognize that we ourselves in this age do not have all the truth, right? Or all the understanding of everything. That the church is very progressive and liberal in many things, but it's not progressive and liberal in everything. That we also recognize the uh, error and the, the trouble and the uh, danger of progressive ideas at times when they're in contradiction with the sense of the faithful and tradition of those who have gone before us. Those who have gone before us that were not dumb, but were very smart and seriously investigated the faith and seriously engaged And so we look at the sense of the faithful and respect of those who have gone before us to continue to bring forth those customs and practices out of respect, but also continue to hold to the faith and morals that they definitively held and were guided by the Holy Spirit. Certainly today there are many things that are up for question. There are many denominations that teach many different things. And even within the Catholic Church there's discussion on many different topics. But we can be sure that the Holy Spirit continues to guide the church because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. One of uh, the a very uh, famous convert to Catholicism, Cardinal Newman, uh, who was an Anglican in the 1800s, He investigated and he wanted to prove that the Anglican Church continued to maintain the Holy Spirit and continuation and that the Catholic Church fell away and started to preach and teach heresy, right? Uh, Contrary to the truth. But when he started to look into the investigation to try to prove that Anglican was true, he started to find a, a different understanding. As he started to investigate, he started to see that the Catholic Church actually continued to maintain in progression, in development, in that growth of the seed, to the full, full tree, right to the development of the doctrine, in truth. He would become Catholic, and he would say that to, to study history is to cease to be Protestant. We should not be afraid of our history. Certainly there are some individuals acting contrary to the teachings of the church, and even many popes who did not live out the faith and morals that they taught. But we have faith that the Holy Spirit continues to guide the church today in all truth. That faith and customs might come and go, or not faith and customs, practices and customs, small t things, but that the Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. And so may we have that faith in that when we come to doubts, when we say, what is Revelation even about? Is that even sacred Scripture? It's kind of crazy. That's the second reading, Revelation. But yes, it is the Word of God. It is from God. Even though that the church hasn't definitively defined what all of it means, it is the Word of God. That even though that the bread and water the bread and wine look like ordinary bread and wine, that there's something more, and that the church is faithful in our teaching. And so may we not trust in individual people, individual priests, individual bishops, individual popes even, but trust Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Bride of Christ and the teaching magisterium of the church that guides us in all things.